129. 129. 129. You know what that means? I do. That's what the number that after 128. <laughs> it's the number before 130. And it happens to be the number for today's episode. Which is the 129th attempt to take us off the air. We shall not go silently into the night. Welcome, everybody. This is the ultimate true crime interview-style podcast, The Game of Crimes, recently featured in Ashburn Magazine. Murph, it came out. I saw it. I've gotten several emails from folks up in Ashburn <laughs> sending me copies of the page. <laughs> oh, in case you didn't know, the, they were hard up for something to put in the paper. So uh, <laughs> we did a we did a we did an overview of Game of Crimes podcast for AshburnMagazine.com. You can go find us there. And me and my fabulous Tommy Bahama collector's edition shirt. There were only eight hundred of these ever made, and I have number one thirty eight. Mm-hmm. You probably have all eight hundred. <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry. I'm foolish, not stupid. I got a picture that uh, I'm going to have to post uh, in your honor. So okay. I won't tell you what it is. just have to wait and see when it comes out. Does it involve a thong? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if it did, it'd be a girl and it wouldn't involve you. So Okay. Butt floss, here we come. All right. Hey, guys, let's get rid of all this stuff. Let's get to our quick housekeeping. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us. Once again, hey, head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars, five stars, stinkle stars. It really helps us out a lot. We really appreciate it. Um, and your reviews really helps us. You know, many of our guests, as you're going to find out, come from recommendations from you, our players out there. So also head on over to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com, where you will find action pictures you will not see anywhere else of the one and only Boyd Holbrook, who is episode 128. There you go. Yeah, so we had some good stuff there. So we've got our book list, our merch list, all that good stuff. Follow us on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But I'm telling you where you got to be is Patreon. Couple days late. Thanks, Frederick Nicolosi. <laughs> we were a couple days late getting our Q and A out, but we had some fun. We had some good questions on that. Yep. And it's Very the good. you know, and we we got one of our one of our folks out there. I won't say her name uh, in case she doesn't want me to use it, but comes from South Africa. Had really good observations for us, so we really appreciate that for you folks out there. But hey, look, we've got some good stuff coming up. You can't make this shit up. Nine one one. What's your emergency? The narcometer. You you keep telling me we're going to have a great one to review for this month. We are. I'm, I'll tell you towards the end of the month. Oh, well, I wouldn't want for, you to get ahead. No, wouldn't want me. Not like this. You know, wouldn't want to get ahead. Hey, you know, we might be a couple days late every now and then on Patreon, but you know what? We've never missed an episode. That's never right. missed an episode of Game of Crimes. Comes out on time every Monday. It used to be Monday and Thursday. Now it's Monday and Tuesday. So catch us there. Also, head on over to facebook.com type in game of crimes fans join the group that's run by our favorite mafia queen sandy salvato the iron fist with the velvet glove that rules overall and especially posting videos about cats and tagging me in those because she knows that's my life my life is run by cats oh just look over your right shoulder yeah um fanny <laughs> decided i so i have to i have multiple places i have three places at a minimum in my office to where they can sleep i have a heated cat perch so i actually have an old uh heating pad mm-hmm. underneath that for when it's cold so they can lay on that um i have a cat condo over here in the corner to my right at my two o'clock the uh heated pad is to my left at my nine o'clock and on my six is that's a where nut is right now yeah that's where fanny is right now crawled up on my desk and is asleep over against the wall 
on the ill part of my desk, sacked out. She is tactically minded because she can keep a room, an eye on you and the entire room from that position. That's what I said, man. She's a tac- tactical cat, tacticat. She's got my six. <laughs> I saw the uh, the cartoon that came out today. I was showing Connie. Would you know somebody came in and I pulled a gun on the burglar came into my house. I pointed a gun at him. I didn't shoot him. I just put the red dot on their chin and let the cats do the rest. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's what would happen. <laughs> hey, but guys, also remember, this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the story seriously, but... If you haven't figured it out, we rarely take ourselves serious. We get on our little soapbox every once in a while. Every now and then. Every now and then, Murph goes off the deep end. I got to reel him back in. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, but that means that it's time for a particular portion of our show to where I say, Murph, do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? Murph, guess what time it is? It's time for... Small town police law enforcement. Yay! Okay, I'm going to name this to rocket science, rocket scientist corner. You know, rocket scientist blotter. We've got some rocket scientists on this time. Where we got today? Well, where, where are they from? Well, this one is from Colorado. Okay, there is one from Florida. Don't want to disappoint you. Woo-hoo. We do have one Florida man, but um, police came up caught a crook carrying thousands of dollars of stolen merchandise. Milwaukee. Milwaukee's a good brand. Stole a lot of Milwaukee. The store owner, what happened was he called 911 after noticing a hole cut in his fencing and caught surveillance footage of the thief inside. This is Wheat Ridge Police, Wheat Ridge, Colorado. They arrived on scene. You know what they discovered waiting nearby, Murph? What? The getaway driver. Guess who the getaway driver was? Either a uh, a wife or a donkey or something strange like that. No, Uber. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Guy broke in, stole all these tools, and here's this guy. The police walking up and they see this guy. Um, the the they they they, uh, they talked to the Uber driver. He he told cops his passenger Jose was headed right towards the car. So they look to this guy. They say, "Hey, are you looking for an Uber?" And they've got body cam of this dude. So he's wearing a black sweatshirt pulled down, uh, balaclava. Uh, looks shoots his gaze sideways, hides his hands inside his pockets. Um, so uh, he used he wanted to use Uber as his getaway vehicle, but he says, "Oh no, that's not my name." He gives them the fake name Raul. Takes several steps backwards. He was going to try and make foot bail. Did not work. Um, they grabbed him. They put the habeas gravis on him. Um, he was stealing from a plumbing store when he decided to call and uber so he's trying to say no 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 that's not me my name is raul he doubles down on his innocent and says he's on his way to his mother's house out in the middle of nowhere and when they say hey your description matches the thief he said no man i'm raul so the content of the backpack had all the stolen tools in there he gave him the fact name fake name so what did they do what they have a fingerprint scanner ran his fingerprint and guess what Uh oh Came back as Jose, not Raul. Jose, Jose, can you you see the inside of the jail? Yes. (laughs) As the police said, it may not be the best idea to have an Uber pick you up at the scene of the crime. But you know what? Running your hands down your pockets will get a gun stuck in your face. Oh yeah, that's that's where you're gonna that's where you're gonna be grabbing some concrete here pretty quick. Mm. Now, Murph, this is the next rocket scientist. All right. I want to call this him the FRS, the brother? fucking rocket scientist. No, this this guy's worse than Jose. This guy's name is Johnny Yates, and he's wanted. Wanted by Polk County, Sheriff Grady, one of our favorite sheriffs. Yeah, but He's wanted by uh, the Polk County, so deputies show up at his Lakeland home. 
on a tip that he was holed up inside, just like them old timers. Hold up, they're, they're holed up there at the secret hideout. So they arrive, and the, what he did to throw them off, which I, you know, you might have fallen for, not me, because I was highly trained, but you might have fallen for. He had a dry erase board out front that said, Jimmy Yates does not live here. <laughs> Well, just let's keep going. There's sense in stopping there. Uh, you you know, and idiot. I've never had a dry erase board lie to me before. You know, it's got to be believable. So uh, yeah. they questioned somebody leaving the house who confirmed Yates was inside. But uh, they surrounded the house, called for him to come out. So they had to take it to the next level. So enough was enough. And they, as the sheriff's office said, surrender smoke was dispersed inside the house. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So they you called out some more. He still didn't come out, so a second helping of surrender smoke was put inside. Uh, still no response from Johnny. Finally, deputies and canine Dexter mm-hmm. entered the house, located Johnny, who was hiding in a modified chest of drawers. How big was the... <laughs> How, how small was this guy that he could fit in the chest of drawers? So here's here's what Polk County said. In regards to the four people who weren't cooperating with deputies, each one received a parting gift, a charge of resisting and an all-expense paid to Grady Judd's bed and breakfast. Hey, Sheriff, we're with you 100%, buddy. Keep it up. All right, final one, Murph. Yep. Another rocket scientist. This one's a, an FRS, but this is a frigid rocket scientist. This guy is not smart because he was up in Alaska. He wanted to rob a bank. And what he did, though, um, he walked up. The, the, the bank didn't open until 10, so he shows up at 9, and he's shaking the windows and the doors, and the people come out and say, hey, we don't open up until 10. You got another hour to wait, so what does he do? Clad in black jeans, black Carhartt jacket, and a black hat. He sauntered up to the First National Bank in Anchorage uh, when employees told him, hey, we're not open. He stood his ground and he passed a note through the locked doors that said, this is a robbery. Put the money in a bag and I will walk out. Okie dokie. This is a robbery. God help us all. <laughs> um, so they called, they called, you know, they locked, they have a secondary locking door. They locked. He continued loitering in front of the band, uh, branch. Uh, cops showed up. They arrest him peacefully. He was transferred reported to Anchorage Police Department. While in the cop car, he made several excited utterances that this was his not not his first time robbing the bank. Turns out, back in 2018, he robbed the same bank, oh. leaving a note with his personal information on there. And after he robbed the bank, he stood outside counting the money. Yeah, he's just looking for a reason to go back to prison. Yeah, well, he got he got he held he got uh, made off with four hundred dollars in a bag, but uh, he was spotted outside the bank counting the bills. Now, for that one, Murphy was given a three hundred sixty-six day prison term, followed by five years of supervised release. This time, he's looking at twenty years. Yeah, yeah, and it's, and uh, you know what? I mean, if, if all he got was four hundred dollars from a bank robbery, you know, the bank should have felt sorry for him and just let him keep the money. That's pathetic. <laughs> 400 bucks. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's a locked door. You know, here, work with me on this. It's a locked door, and you slide a note in through the locked door. Yeah. Oh, how am I going to get that bag of money out to you? Because the door's locked. I can't unlock the door. Just slide it out one bill at a time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, that, well, I don't know. If, you know, as, as dumb as this guy is, I, that probably wouldn't even tick him off. <laughs> Here comes my money. Uh, well, the, the reason there was kind of a money angle to this last one is because it leads into our next guest. Oh, yeah. And this, not was not only was there money involved, there was a shitload of money involved That's, in this one. Murph, what in there? 
Yes, it was. It was. Uh, so our guest today is, is Rich Reinhardt. He is a uh, retired IRS agent who was from New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. He's he doesn't talk like me. That's for sure. But uh, this was a referral from one of our listeners, Carlo Natasi, who we're probably going to try and get on here at some point too. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're not talking about four hundred dollars. We're not talking about four thousand. We're not talking about four hundred thousand. We're not talking about four hundred million. We're talking about how much? How much was this? How much money was there, Murph? It was a buttload. It was, it was $4 billion. <laughs> That's billion with a B. We're going to hold the world ransom for $1 billion. Oh, my God. This is So you may have heard of the case, Operation OneCoin. It's, uh, it, it turns out it's, it's just a straight-out Ponzi scheme, um, scam. But they were able to get away with $4 billion. And you know what? As you're going to hear, we're not going to tell you the whole story, but somebody's still on the FBI's most wanted list. On the FBI's 10 most wanted, they, you know, for $4 billion, that's going to get you on the list. You know what? I got to, I just got to say this on a side note here, because um, I pulled up the 10 most wanted list to make sure this lady's still on there. And as we've been talking, I look down, you got to love the bureau at the bottom of the screen now, it says, click here if you want to join our subscriber list. Uh, the, they know how to market. The bureau knows how to market itself. <laughs> And if you're wanted, click here, you know, and join our subscriber list, you know. (laughs) We'll send some guy, we'll send those guys out with a welcome package for you. Yeah, well, we got a welcome package for you on this one, Murph. So we're not going to hear from Rich Reinhardt and being from New Jersey, how you doing? He's going to ask how you doing. And then we're going to spend five minutes going, how you doing? I'm doing good. But we're never going to get to that unless I ask you how you doing. You know, are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all? The how you doing game of crimes. This is it. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to learn so much on this one today. So sit down. Shut up. I forgot. Get in. Sorry. Here we go. Boy, this is going to be a good one. Get in. Sit down. Shut up and hold on. (laughs) Give me some help, can you? All right, Rich. Come on, brother. You know, the mistake I made when we started this, I said, how you doing? And it took us three minutes to get past how you doing. Should have been, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. How you doing? You know? Just got to say it right. Oh, don't you hate that when that happens? Say, well, look, again, uh, we are back again with another. This is going to be an interesting guest because this is a guy who went from uh, – just being a diversion investigator to being DEA to being working for a small nonprofit organization, many of you fondly call the IRS, but we got <laughs> some interesting stuff. But hey, Murph, how do we get here? How did the, who who invited this guy? Who invited this moop? You know, um, <laughs> we we could have solved that. How you doing? Thing to just say, hey y'all, how you doing? That sounds no, much no. easier. There you go. <laughs> so I'm teaching teach you guys so how to speak southern. <laughs> we got a you know one of our listeners, Carlo Natasi, uh, recommended. Our guest today, and uh, we started doing some research here on on a, a special operations. He's going to get into detail back uh, about here just a little bit later. But uh, reached out to our man here, didn't hesitate, agreed to come on. And uh, you, he actually worked border patrol before he came over to DEA, so he's got a, a very storied past that we need to. No, hear he a just lot can't about. hold a job. That's what it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rich, you don't have to take his shit. You can flip him off. You can tell him off. You can hang up if you want to, brother. <laughs> not, not for all, not for what we had to do to get him on. This is our second platform and like fifth attempt to get his gear working. So we got. We're not going to mess with it. His all right. Gear. So hey, well, let's. That, that sounds a little strange. We said get his gear working. 
Yeah. No. At our <laughs> age, it's all about getting your gear working. So, okay. are you going to yeah. introduce him, Murph? Or are we just going to dick around for a while? <laughs> hey, everybody. We got Mr. Rich Reinhardt on the line with us here today. Rich, thank you very much, brother, for being on the show. You got it. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. You may not say that after you talk to Morgan, but uh, every yeah. guest says the same thing. Well, we always have you reserve. We always have our guests reserve judgment until we're done with the episode. So. Um, as we do with everybody, Rich, and actually, I got to tell you, you sound a lot like one of the guys we had on too, Dominic Polifron. Do you remember, do you know Dominic? I do not. Dominic was the guy who helped bring down Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman. Uh-huh. He's out of, he started out of, uh, as a, uh, an investigator with the Bergen County DA's office. Okay. So he sounds a lot like you. So if we, I, I'm, I'm fluent in interpreting, uh, Jersey, Jersey, <laughs> Jersey. So. <laughs> Hey, well, as, but as we do with all of ours, thing of ours, close and Nostra, how did you get started? I mean, dude, you, like you said, you went through a variety of things. Where'd you grow up at? What were you doing? I mean, were you just a troubled Ute that got yeah. in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> were you one of the two Utes that, that Joe Pesci was talking about or what? I, I was a Ute. I grew, I grew up in New Jersey, been here the whole time, except for the little bit of time I spent on the border. Um, came back from the border to join diversion with DEA. Well, but you you just can't go, gloss yeah, past that. You went to the fast. border, right? So that sounds like an Al Stewart so, song, On the Border. Okay. So I spent two years at the Border Patrol uh, back in 1996 to 98. Well, which, how, did you, how did you get on Border Patrol? See, that's see, this is the question we said. How did you get started? So How did you get started? So how did I get started in the Border Patrol? How does a guy from Joyce go Joyce, to the Border Patrol? And, and more and importantly, me, why? And why? And I can just see you speaking Spanish. Right. Hey, you two, dos, so, you dos amigos, you, come here, you two youths. I knew I wanted to be in the federal government, right? Um, Why? Just because I always knew, I I ended up where I knew I wanted to be. I always liked financial crimes. Like that was always my interest. Mm -hmm. So to get in the government at the time, my father was in El Paso and he'd gotten sick. And one of his friends was a border patrol agent, one of the guys he got with. And he said, yo, we're we're getting ready to hire a ton of people. If someone wants to start here, get him in the door and then he can move on from there. So literally I graduated college in May, applied that weekend had a physical in august passed a physical takes tests go to the doctor i i was in the border patrol i think september of 96 oh is that one of those quick physicals where they go bend over cough okay you're alive we are so it's, it's funny they actually did that i thought asked my father i'm like what the hell did they do that for he goes they raped you man <laughs> he said you're too young for that <laughs> oh. so but where, where'd you go to college at i went to john jay college of criminal justice in manhattan hey heard i know a lot about those guys that's a great place it's an interesting place, yeah. Oh, Before, I noticed you. Wait a minute. You didn't say great. You said it's an interesting place. Okay. What makes it interesting? It, 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 it's as, as the year started. This is going back. Now it's, now it's yeah. I think, a lot better. But back then, as the, like, the school year started, you had a lot of riffraff like, in the first semester. And then by the time you got to the second semester, everything weeded itself out. And then you were... Uh, Who's riffraff? <laughs> people from Long Island or what? Queens or what? New Yorkers. <laughs> New Yorkers. New Yorkers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, New Yorkers. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be another civil war up there oh my God, New York, New Jersey with this. No war. hate mail, folks. This is just a podcast. We're not storing the beaches at Normandy. Everybody just chill. So, uh, but, but so you did that, but what, what made you decide to go criminal justice? What was it about prior to that that said, hey, this is what I want to do? Well, I started, uh, well, I actually started in community college, took a couple business classes and knew that wasn't for me. Um, but I did always like like accounting and finance. So it's actually crime and punishment was like the second book I read in college. And oh yeah. Like that was just the whole criminal mentality. It like, it always fascinated me. Then I had to do a paper on a bunch of, um, it was Michael Milken and there was another guy, big stock case. 
I was just fascinated by that. Michael Milken was the junk bond king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he went to prison. Like, yep. So that, like, that's I knew. Like, I liked financial crimes right, right away. And uh, like I said, the border patrol was. I always knew it was going to be a landing point to get me going. In hindsight, that was the funnest job I ever had. I mean, you work ten hour shift, and there was never a minute to take a rest. It was just always chasing someone or something. And that's well, going even back in '96. Well, let's let's go back to that. So when you got on, wh- where were you stationed at? I was in Douglas, Arizona, which is like right on the corner of New Mexico and Arizona, and out what, in the middle of nowhere. And what, what? So what did they have you doing? Um, I mean, because I know they have there's ports of entry, and that's a different thing, right? But but you're in between the ports, right? You're it, you're. It, yep. So I literally. It, so if I worked like a three to eleven shift, your day literally started out with taking a like a triangle of truck tires hooking it up to your truck, dragging it as far as you could along the dirt road till it got dark out, turn around, take your flashlight out and look for footprints. Find the footprints, depending on the size, you're either going to walk with them and try and find them yourself or they're going to call a helicopter and they're going to come in and help you. So were you a solo operator or did you have a team with you or how how did that work with you being out there? You started out solo. Uh, You know, you would begin to trek by yourself. And then, you know, like I said, if it was like two or three people, you're on your own. But if to, you know if you saw a lot of footprints, then people would meet up with you along the way. So you'd call out where you were, or like give people an idea, and people well, would try and intercept you in between. I got to tell you, sorry, it was sketchy. Al. It was sketchy. It's, that's what I'm saying. I'm telling you, you're telling me I'm in the middle of nowhere. My closest backup is an hour away, and you want me to follow three people into the bush that I have no idea where they are. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely sketchy, man. Uh, and then if you worked the night shift, like so, you would go up on a mountain somewhere where you could find. With an infrared light in the back that was like mounted in the center of the truck, and it would come through the roof. And then, like you, you get up there, you turn that scope on, and it was like ants all over the place. There was just dots everywhere. And then you just would guide people to like the biggest group. Man, it, and, and it, you, it was unreal. Well, and then you fast forward to now. I mean, look, they had the biggest crossing in one day. I think what did they say? Fifteen thousand people. Yeah, I, we never saw anything like that. It was a lot of people, though. I mean, it was thousands of people a night, even back then. Jeez, man. So, uh, did it feel like a revolving door back then too? I mean, like you arrest and, and talk about 100%. that, but also, yeah, I, but I'm also interested too. One of the things we've seen happening now is there's a lot more people that are on the terrorist watch list that have been coming across the border. They're catching a lot of those. When you were back in the day, what was the biggest thing other than just the mule? I mean, the coyotes bringing people across, were you getting dope as well? Were you getting in a, any indication of, uh, people from countries we don't like, like, you know, Iran and, you know, stuff like that? In hindsight, yes. Uh, so you always had like, um, you had Mexican nationals and then you had OTMs, which are other than Mexicans. And OTMs. Okay. <laughs> so like other than Mexican could be anything. So in hindsight, could a Middle Eastern guy be an OTM? 100%. And I don't, I don't think we would have known if he had a Mexican ID. I don't think anybody would have known because it was literally catch them, write them up, bring them inside, fingerprint them and send them back next day. You're going to see half those people again until they're, until they're jammed up 10 times. Then they would 10 times. What was, why did, why was 10 times the magic number? I, I don't know who chose that number. Some some bureaucrat in D.C. that didn't have to man a post out in Douglas, Arizona. <laughs> I guess so. But it, it was a rat. It was a rat race. It was a rat race. I, I remember the first time I caught dope. It was like during a day shift, and the journeyman agent was like, "One of the sensors went off. There was ground sensors everywhere." So he's like, 
you had a cheat sheet of where to find them. All right, go find it. Go out there. I hear the bushes tickle and I, the race is on. Five guys get up, start running, and I'm running after them. This is going on for like a mile and a half. Like at that, I wasn't used to like the border climate and everything. I'm coughing up blood. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm going to die. And I was in the best shape of my life. Long story short, catch them, get them back. There's like eight bales of dope, like 50 pound bales. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to be on TV and everything. And they're like, oh, that's all we got. Throw it in the back of the truck. Let's get out of here. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's it. Eight bales. Oh, that's man. it. That's it. And you would see that shit on the side of the road all the time. Like it was nothing. And you're just like, what, where would I get myself into? Crazy. That's crazy stuff. But what was, so what's, what's one of the funnest things you got to do down there on the border? Every night was fun. I, I have to say every, like every night was fun. It was always something different. Uh, either, like I said, chasing people, chasing dope, like catching vans with people that, I mean, you couldn't believe how many people could fit in a van. Like you don't decide like a clown door. car, right? Like yeah. a clown car, they just keep coming out. And I'm not being sarcastic at all. I mean, people would fall out as you open the side door. There was that many people stuffed in it. Cause they're only going, you know, five or 10 miles till they get to the next pickup point and they, they would split up there. But uh, the funnest, I think the funnest was when you're sitting at a, uh, like an overnight post on the highway. And like, as the sun comes up, you'll hear sent like the guy at dispatch will call out sensors popping all over the place. Cause they know once they're approaching the stop, they just get out and run. And then the race is on. And that was like a, a morning occurrence every morning, just a foot race to chase people. How tall are you rich? I'm five, nine. You look like you're pretty slender. Probably a good runner, huh? I, I, especially back then, I'm still a pretty big runner, but back then I was, I was in good shape. <laughs> Jeez. But, but you got all the gear on, you got the long pants and the boots and everything. You're trying to chase people. You know, it's still a difficult proposition. Well, well, the most memorable moment was, so when we're in the Academy, they're telling you, oh, you fucking city boys. Like, you don't know. It's going to be so dark out there. You can't see your hand in front of your face. And they get yeah, bullshit. You're just like trying to scare us. One night I'm out there and sure enough, it's dark as shit. And I, have my flashlight forward i hear a noise behind me i turn around my lights just go in the eye of a fucking bull and i'm like oh motherfucker <laughs> so, <laughs> i'm tearing off and i'm like i'm thinking i was running for miles before i thought this it was probably going a mile ago but i'm still running like oh my god if this thing catches me man i'm done oh <laughs> oh <laughs> holy cow you oh. know it, it was, it was not an, holy cow holy bull <laughs> holy bull, okay whatever <laughs> it, it was an interesting 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 place what about it's, violence? Um, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, I lost a classmate uh, six months into the job. What uh, happened? Same thing. Like he, you know, he was him and a partner. He actually had a partner with him. They followed a small group. It ended up being dope, and the partner left him to uh, go try and find the dope. Unfortunately, somebody was hiding in the bush. Came out and just shot him in the back of the head. Oh, gee. That, that's very. I mean, that was rare. Like. Something of that magnitude. I mean, I know it's getting more common now, but back then, I mean, it was very rare, but very unfortunate. I mean, this guy was a Russian immigrant, real nice kid, and they just, they fucking popped him. They catch him? Uh, you never know down there. I mean, allegedly, they caught somebody. God. That's horrible. What, what's it? You remember his name? Alex Kirpak, Kirpnik. Okay. They have a memorial for him every year. I mean, yeah. It was just a genuinely nice guy. I mean, going through the academy, just a just happy to be in America, happy to be a citizen, happy to do his part, and then just taken out you know, for no reason. That reminds me, too. We had Pete Forcelli on. Pete was ATF, but worked the Fast and Furious, and that was one of the things we talked about was the guns that were used to kill Brian Terry. 
Okay. Yeah, you know, Brian got killed down there too, kind of mm-hmm. a similar situation. Um, what did you, you know, because now we're looking at it too, and I know Murph, you said too, when you were down at El Paso, wasn't it one time you were down there where you said the cartel, or, or not cartel, but some of those people were shooting across the border, the rounds were hitting the buildings on the U.S. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, there's, uh, I, I was in me, I was at my first time to El Paso, I'm with the chief from, um, uh, UTEP, University of Texas at El Paso. We just kind of hit it off, got to be friends. And he said, hey, you want to, let me give you a quick tour around El Paso. So we did. We went up on campus and he showed me on the building, on one of the campus buildings on the college campus, the, the bullet mark, pock marks where bullets were coming across the border. And here's what I heard from everybody in El Paso. And you may, may have confirmed this, Rich. Everybody said El Paso is the safest city in the United States. According to the mayor, yeah. Yeah, that's, so they that's dump like everything on the other motto. side. Yeah, just don't cross over. <laughs> I remember the first uh, New Year's Eve I was there, like, you know, probably 10 minutes before midnight. They're like, all right, everybody get to the port. And we're like, what the hell is going on here? So we all had a race to the port. They wanted you underneath the awning because all you heard was gunshots. And it like rained down on top of the port. Bah, 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 bah. And, like, and people don't remember wow. what goes up must come down. <laughs> yeah. you know, they had... There was actually a homicide case where that's what it was. They thought somebody had got whacked in L.A. by a gang member. But what it was is people shooting up in the air. One of the rounds came up and nailed this guy right in the top of the head. You I know? believe it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Man. New, Year's, New Year's Eve was interesting. Well, so, so you lasted there a couple years. Uh, what made you, you know, what opportunity arose for you to move to take the next step? And what was the next step? So while I was there, uh, my father passed away. Uh, my wife was like, okay, I'm done. We're going back home. Uh, I actually applied for the Scottsdale police department and had, was about to take the physical, which was the last step of the process. And then I, I just, I got the flu and I was comatose and I couldn't take it. So lost that opportunity, applied for diversion with DEA, which is like their pharmaceutical drug unit, got hired, but was told I couldn't go till November. So this is like May of 98. And my wife just couldn't take it anymore. So I broke service there with Border Patrol, went home, got hired by DEA in November, and then became a diversion investigator looking at pharmaceutical drug diversion. Well, if she didn't like it down there, then why were you applying for Scottsdale? Because you weren't getting that. If I started out in the Border Patrol, maybe in Phoenix, Arizona, I don't know that we ever came back. It's just Douglas, Arizona was just so bad. Oh, okay. Uh, you, you, I mean, you hit the lottery if you get like a place like Phoenix or San Diego. Well, yeah. parts of San Diego. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I mean, it's 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 an adjustment for a person from the East Coast, especially when you live next to the ocean. Like, it's like where the water? Where's the water? Yeah. <laughs> where's so, the what? Wait, wait, what? Where's the what? <laughs> water. What? Water. 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 Where's the water? Sorry, Rich. <laughs> Country club. Um, so, but what, so was it just taking the job uh, or was there something interesting about the diversion investigator? Or was it just the fact that that got you back into the federal government again? That, yeah, that, that got me back in, you know, being a DE agent was a possibility, you know, applying there. And I actually did like within the first year and a half I got back, I applied to be an agent with DEA. But then when I was working diversion, got introduced to an IRS criminal investigator, started working with him a little bit. And then he was like, we're hiring right now if you want to apply. And the process just went way quicker for the IRS than it did the DEA. And that's why I ended up with the IRS. Well, gee, that sounds familiar, Murph. <laughs> yeah, it does. Not just for me, but like every DEA person we have on here. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're talking to them on average. It's like every DEA guy we talk to. Yeah, two years, you know, year and a half, two years, you know. What's ironic about that is like they expect you 
to be sitting there waiting for him. Yeah. Right. Like, the, like it's normal practice in the real world. It's, it's not normal to keep yeah. somebody holding for two years. And then when they call and offer you the job, they're like, uh, Hey, listen, today's Tuesday. Could you be at the Academy this Sunday? <laughs> yep. Yep. But you know what? I said, yes. <laughs> and I was there. <laughs> I got to show you something to it. Just remembered rich. I was down at the international association of chiefs of police conference one year and ran into this very nice border patrol agent, very nice lady. And she said, I got something for you. And first of all, I'm going, oh, okay. Yeah, and that's not what I was here. Take a look at this. So I got one of the border <laughs> patrol. It's a T-shirt wrapped up, you know, in a race crap. Car. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 28. I think it wasn't Jeff. No, Jeff Gordon, I think, was 24. 24. Yeah. Why aren't you wearing a T-shirt? You got a free T-shirt that you've never owned up to. What's up to this? <laughs> it's in the shape of a car. If I do that, then it's like. Yeah, I don't think I'd take that out. It's a no, T-shirt. I take that out. It's not a car. It's a T-shirt. Come on now. It's a car. It's a car. <laughs> See, it's Rich, a car. Rich, what we're talking about is I, I'm known for being on the show in free T-shirts. Like this one came from uh, our buddies out in Oklahoma, the law enforcement conference out there. And he's always busting my chops because he wears these frilly clothes. I think his wife throws away and then. You know, Morgan puts those on. So they're called Tommy Bahama, but not there today. Look at what I'm wearing today. This is my <laughs> this is my diehard greatest Christmas movie ever made. Now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho. There you go. Now that is a good sweatshirt. That's a good I wore that. I went to the stretching zone, had to go do yeah, you know, I've got this thing I twice a week I go get, you know, my legs and everything back stretched out. So I wear this all the time. Like, don't mess with me. I'm a bad <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Everybody just laughs at him. Yeah. So, but with IRS, so um, you were back in New Jersey, right? When you applied? Yep. So right, literally right when I got out of IRS Academy, they sent me back to DEA. So I've never worked a traditional IRX task case. I was always in a money laundering hide group. Oh, okay. Lucky you. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I <laughs> trust me. Yeah, for IRS agents, I've had a blessed career. I've stayed at DEA for 15 years before I got into the crypto space. I was an undercover agent the whole time. Um. And our undercover program is, it's fun because you get to travel the country. I mean, I've, I've been all over the place on the G. Gee, who nice. do we know that used to be DEA and went <laughs> IRS, Murph, that also worked undercover? Yeah, we used to do that. I'm not sure the DEA is really, I think it's kind of turned into the DAA, the Drug Administration Administration now. But <laughs> No, but I'm talking about who's a prior guest we had oh. that was DEA and then went IRS and worked some cases? Um, Bob Mazur. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He was actually. He name. was actually. Uh, uh, he he did the movie The Infiltrator with Brian Cranston. The, it was based on uh, his story, the work he was doing on uh, the uh, cartel and the all the money laundering stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He actually, uh, uh, Mazur was uh, Customs, and well, then IRS, customs. and then DEA. Yeah. Or maybe it's IRS, Customs, and DEA. It's one of those or the other. Huh? Anyway, everybody seems to have – it's like McDonald's. IRS seems like the McDonald's of the federal law enforcement. Like everybody may do a little time there. but uh, well, you know, so, And I just got to say, man, it's cool to hear you say that, Rich, because uh, I worked – I ran the uh, strike force in Atlanta for several years, and we had, a, we had a full IRS enforcement group there. But for them to go out of the office on any operations, these are agents. I mean, it, you know, they had to get SAC approval to go out. Yeah, that's, it, that depends on where you're at. Uh, it's it's funny because I worked in New Jersey for 15 years. When I went over to New York, I was like, "What the hell is happening here?" Like you could do anything you wanted, mm -hmm. but in New Jersey, it wasn't like you didn't need SAC approval, but you definitely did need approval to go out with the DEA group. Um, I had a great group though. I had uh, this guy Chris Urban was my supervisor. The agents in the group, 
they were always supportive of letting me do my own thing. Nice. And you know, like I, it depends on what group you're in, but my group, they didn't want to deal with the financial stuff. They were like, just what, what can you find here? Yeah. I now remember the- being out, I remember being on a warrant, uh, some guy gives up information on a perfume company. We go to the perfume company. There's just checks all over this guy's desk. And they're like, what are all these fucking checks? They're all round numbers. I'm like, that, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we took those checks, go back to the office, start doing our thing. And we were, we ended up with a huge black market peso case involving perfume dealers in New Jersey. Wow. Who would have thought um, it, right? But they always gave me that leeway. And like yeah. we, one time we were, again, drugs are coming through the port. We jam up some guy, we go to his house, sees a bunch of money at his safe. He's shit in his pants. What, what else do I got to tell you? We're just like, fucking tell us everything you know, and we'll decide if it's important or not. Hey, this guy always talks about stocks at the port. You know, maybe you should look into that. We look into that. That's we end up with a huge penny stock case. It actually the the two people went to trial and uh the post wrote about it. They called it the Weird Wolf of Wall Street. This guy can make five million dollars off a of penny stock in seconds. Whoa. But he would pay all these mopes, 25 grand, 30 grand at a time, just to go on Twitter, Facebook, and start saying, you know, now I have a machine gun t-shirt, it's gonna be the next big company. <laughs> And people are just buying it up. No, you and know what? Was, I probably it, lost some money to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but the DEA group was awesome. Like, how many times did you hear a DEA group work at Penny Stock Case? Never. I never. Right. Let's, but they they helped me along the way, you know, doing the covert stuff that we do. They helped me get everything. They well, wanted to participate in it. Let's talk a little bit about that because, like you were saying yeah. when we started the thing, you said, like, who would think you would say DEA? Who would say Penny Stock? Who cares, right? But but let's let's talk a little bit too about the the unique role that IRS can bring to it because I was you know I Murph knows this story but when I was a detective and we were working some cases with DEA and other stuff we'd have uh, IRS guy guy named Marty McCormick out of Wichita very nice guy Marty didn't know shit about doing surveillance because he'd drive by in his green crown Victoria with tinted windows like four or five times Marty <laughs> driving by the target's house. But they could obviously they could get data we weren't allowed to have. But this is the lesson I learned. <laughs> and I still tell you to this day. The IRS doesn't care where you get your money. The only thing the IRS cares is that you report it on your income tax. And as long as you do that, I, I know that to be true, but I never had to do that. Like I said, I, I've always worked money laundering cases. I've yeah. never did a tax case. Yeah, and that other, was, than, other than my own taxes, I wouldn't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> Have you? Is there any income you failed to disclose? We should hear about Rich. <laughs> Not allowed to do that neither. <laughs> uh, certain things we don't want to talk about on here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing where the statute of limitations, unless your name's Hunter Biden, he just got jammed up for some tax issues. So again, I again. think they had. I think they had to do that. It would have been pretty much a pie in the face. That would have been a. That would have well, been pretty egregious IRS, to let that go. Yeah. After those, did you know those two guys at IRS, the whistleblowers that came forward? I didn't know them well. No. No. I okay. ran across the guy Shipley, I think maybe once in my career. The other guy, I never even ran across. Okay. But I give him credit. Takes a set of nuts to do that. So I give yeah. him credit. Well, let's go back and talk about this penny stock case. So um, let's kind of set the context a little bit more because th- this, I mean, when this, you're this talking- could be this this whole case could be a book in and of itself because you can't believe the cast of characters involved. Well, let's 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 dig into it. So let's let's go so back and just set the stage a little bit more. So. Yeah. You said you jammed up a guy and you needed something out of him, right? He's wanting to make a deal. Well, if you want to make a deal, you got to give us something more than what we got on you. What do you got, right? So right. And he just starts throwing shit against the wall. He brings up that name. I go back to the office. I just start looking in different databases that we have, and it starts popping up. 
And what, um, what pops up about this person? What I mean, because I know you guys have a variety of systems that track, but is it like things like uh, the, the the CTRs, the suspicious activity reports? Uh, what, what's triggering on this guy that makes you want to look at him further? A lot of bank banking activity that it just didn't make sense for a guy working at the port. Um, okay. And when you say a guy working at the port, what do you mean by that? Working on the docks. Okay. Like the, where all the goods come in from overseas and everything. Like a union guy working down at the dock, yep. loading cranes and stuff. So he, he's a, when you, when you say he's working at the port, I just want to make sure people understand we're not talking about a government employee, but a, somebody works for one of the shipping companies or something, right? Yep. Yep. All right. And was he doing anything though that indicated that he's got any kind of money or uh, wealth? Like was he driving fancy cars or anything, or is this guy keeping it low key? Not the initial guy. No. The initial guy was low key, keeping everything in a safe. The guy he gave up, a little more high profile. Not like over the top, though. Nothing like crazy. Now, the penny stock, the, the ringleader, over the top. Yeah. House in Fort Lauderdale, on the water, big mansion, nice cars. Well, so work into it. So you, you take this guy. How long does it take you uh, to start realizing, hey, we've got something here? Because you, when you say penny stocks, a lot of people are going to go, penny stocks? What? I mean, kind of give us an idea is that if you do this right, like you say, it's kind of a pump and dump, but so if you can manipulate penny stocks, right, what kind of impact can you have? Oh, to investors a lot. I mean, so I'll just go from the beginning. So the guy tells us, Hey, this guy is always mentioning stocks. You should look into him. So like I said, we go back to the office, run through different systems. See, yeah, this guy's pretty heavily involved in stock activity. So then like I said, this is where the DEA group I was with was awesome. They were like, well, let's get a wire on this fucking guy. So they helped me get that. We get that. We start listening to this guy's phone. And sure enough, every day they're talking about different stocks that are getting ready to go. And who has to go on Twitter? Who has to go on? I think at that time it was MySpace too. Oh my God, this is dating this conversation <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're planning on what they're going to put out. So we get enough to get this guy. Hey, real quick. How long did it take you to get that title three? Oh, a long time. Who wrote the yeah, affidavit? The, it was it was a lot of. I have no, I don't even remember at this point. I'm I'm sure I had some part of it. Yeah, but um, so, so who was what was the drug nexus for DEA to be writing a wire on it? Uh just a joint task force. Uh, oh, it started out with drugs. Gotcha. Um, so we went from there, grabbed that guy, and he just everything on the guy in Florida who ran it. The guy Dave. So the guy went to trial. We could talk about it. The guy Dave Levy. He went to trial. Well, let's, let's, they lost. Yeah, let's back up from that before we get too far into that. So tell us about once you got the wire, how long is this operation going on? How long are you monitoring? And what kind of who, I mean, how extensive is this thing going on? I mean, this guy's working at the port. So is this his full-time job at the port as well as when he's away from the port? Give us a, a little bit more of an idea. I don't, I don't think anybody has, I think on paper, people have full-time jobs at the port, but I don't think anybody works full-time. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of job I need. That's, that's that whole how you doing mentality. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me um, of an episode of The Sopranos. You know, I just, hey, we need a, we, we need a job. It, it was funny because like, this guy was like your typical, what you think of a North Jersey guy. His partner was a little Hasidic guy out of New York. And then the third partner was like, just this interesting character out of Southern Florida. So like when we're looking at this, we're like, this is like a comedy skit. Like you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> what's the, you know, what's so that group that, uh, <clears throat> that Murr's on the uh, impractical jokers? Impractical jokers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like those guys. It, uh, even worse than that. It's like when we went to, so after we get everything we get, we grab these three initially, right? These are the first three to, to get grabbed. 
And how much money at this point have you been able to trace that's involved in this? In other words, you know, how much uh, from their uh, pump and dump and their schemes do you think that they've made by this point? Well, this crew was just paid to do, I'll, I'll call them advertisers. That's the okay. easiest way to explain it. They were only paid thirty, maybe $50,000 per each time they did it. But the main guy is making four to $5 million per stock. So we had them on like eight different stocks. And what makes it a what makes a penny stock a penny stock? So what would the, you know? Because there's markets you've got like the regular stock exchange. You know, um, what what makes a penny stock a penny stock? I, I know I don't know. I'm not a stock expert, but it has to do with the value and it's traded on the OTC market versus any of the legitimate exchanges. Right, like the the, the Nasdaq or the New York. Yeah, know. I think it can't be. I can't. I, I think five dollars is the cap. Maybe I think so. If, if, yeah, somewhere around there. And then inside, there's all kinds of rules on insiders and how much they can trade and everything. So like that all came into play. Um, you know, we eventually, at the end of the day, we learned that like guys are being paid to do wash trades sitting next to each other. Like I'm buying and you're selling at the same time. Like we're sitting right next to each other doing it to, to jack up the price and get rid of stuff. Wow. And how many of these companies were, were aware of what was going on? I mean, at some point, did they say somebody's messing with our stock or are they involved in some of this? At some point they realized they got screwed. Like, you know, the guy comes in and was like, I'm an investor. I'll, so what it starts out with like a company that was existent merges they do a reverse merger with the current company. They say, we're going to bring you public. We're going to bring you all this money. And they do it. The guy that is the legitimate businessman gives them shares of the stock of the new company, thinking they're going to do good with it. And that's how they do the scheme. Man. Damn. No um, wonder I lost money in penny stocks. But we, like we went when we went to uh, oh god. Well, Murphy, you were buying into a free T-shirt company. There's no way to make money at a free T-shirt company. <laughs> I wonder why they said the phone when I'd say uh, and I'd tell them who it was calling. They say, "Hey, sucker! I mean, Steve, how you doing?" Steve, yeah, you know. Well, hey, listen, that's that. That was this. That's what the one guy explained to us. He goes, <clears throat> "Excuse me." He goes, "You give me a story I can sell, and I'll make you money off of it." Like one of the things was like, like a spider web that you put over your outside condenser, your AC unit, and it supposedly blows water in it to make it cooler. It was a complete crock of shit, but you know, some guy thought of it. He thought it would work, and that's the story they sold. Is this like the stuff I see on TV, like the Ronco Peelomatic or all these things that they're? I mean, are these some of these things that are on TV? Or are they just more just like the you know? I got a great idea. I've got a small company, and here's the product. The latter, the latter. I don't okay. think they ever made it to TV. That wasn't in the budget. <laughs> Well, what? I was thinking of some of these, like the Sham Wow. Who's that guy that used to do the Sham Wow? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's definitely companies like that, but I think Sham Wow actually worked. Yeah, well, to some extent, it had to because it's one of those things. Like you say, TV time's not cheap, and so for them to be able to still make the money to sell that stuff um, makes it worse. So, but but keep talking about that. So you've got the initial three guys, right? So, but how big does this get? Where does it go? Uh, is it just U.S. or have you got you know international players? Uh, no, there's international. There's, so they, they moved all their money through accounts in Panama. So it was good because after the first three, tell us about everybody else. It leads to the two people that eventually went to trial, husband and wife. Um, they were down in Florida. He would go to... Um, the husband and wife were in Florida? Yep, yep. And then the husband would go to Panama. So that's eventually how we get the... Like the gut punch, he came back from Panama one time, and we grabbed a lot of his stuff. And like most criminals, he was dumb enough to keep handwritten notes that ultimately led to uh, his demise. 
That paper trail gets you every time, doesn't yep, it? Yep, it gets you every time. It's literally a physical paper trail. I mean, he took a lot of the money. I mean, he was making, he was trying to be like a Hollywood kind of guy. Like he was, he was paying for production on a, a show that was absolutely stupid, but he was paying for it. I remember going to interview the wife of the guy that was the producer. And uh, I get to the door and she's like, oh, thank God you're finally here. I've been telling my husband, this guy's a scumbag. He's scamming us. And then she has like her own little online blog. And next day I go online, I see my name. Like, oh, and thank God the IRS agent showed up at my house. <laughs> so I, my husband finally knows. <laughs> oh my God, you're going to be famous. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was an interesting story. It was an interesting story. Well, keep going with that, though. So so what does it take for you to get from the wire now to get to these people? Because I know that you hear the name. Do you run now a second wire? Do you go up on a wire on these no, folks as well? Nope. No, everything everything else is like he's uh, – everything else is records. Just continue to go through trading records, go through them, get the emails, find the next person involved, go hit them, get them. I mean, the wire was pretty powerful. I mean, they were all on the wire, so – and and when it's in your own voice saying, hey, do this and then do this and do this, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of hard to overcome that when you got it on a Title three, Right, right. And then the, the Panama stuff was just perfect because that, you know, there's your conceal and disguise, right? You're not going to so, you're not gonna go through all that if you're not trying to hide it. What was the purpose of him going to Panama? What, 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 what was it that he did down there that he could not do in the United States? They had a lawyer over there who opened shell companies that they were able to, to wire money into. Okay. So... When he needed money, he'd go there, get it, and then come back with certified checks that he could use over here. That and looks legitimate. Would, and would that not, avoid the uh, currency transaction reports? Yeah. Yeah, because the person who sells a certified check would have to file the report, not the person who has it. So if I went to the bank and bought a certified check with ten grand, they are going to file it on me, not the person who cashes it or deposits it, rather. Right. And so, but because it was in Panama, were they filing those reports or was that, was that part of the scheme? Oh, no, Panama, no, Panama's not filing those reports. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but so that's interesting. That's what I'm saying. When you get into the international side of it, how much, how much. Uh, that, how that guy, the lawyer was actually probably the most comical part of the whole trial because he had his own history, right? Well, he's in Panama and he's a lawyer opening bullshit accounts. He has a history, right? And when we're on trial, you know, you know, the defense attorneys are like trying to dirty him up as bad as they can. You freaking lied and you lied and you lied. He just stops. He's like, that was my job. I was paid to lie. And it was just like silenced, like drop the mic moment. Like, holy shit, that guy's good. Yeah. You know, you can't overcome that. Even if you're like the defense attorney, he was even speechless. Like, yeah, he's kind of right. That's what he's paid to do. Well, care of <laughs> sometimes you don't have to pay them to do it they still do it for free so mm -hmm. uh, but that takes i mean the the ausa that was assigned to that case i mean he was awesome he was very aggressive it, it was everybody involved or, or like i said my dea group my dea supervisor the u.s attorney that was assigned to that everybody was awesome like just you know i don't think many irs agents get that support when they're assigned to a task force so we'll go deeper into this in a second, but let's kind of bookmark it too, because how long had this been going on? You know, obviously you've got, you'll, at the end of the case, you've got historical information, but how long had this been going on before you were made aware of it and you got involved? Was it a month, it, a year, two years? I think it was a little over a year. It wasn't like super long. And so why was this guy running his mouth then down at the port, just trying to brag and, or is he, or is he trying to get people to buy the stuff? I mean, you're thinking like, if you've got a good thing going, you don't really want to tell somebody. Oh, trying to doing? buy stuff, Try getting to buy it. That's how you produce. That's how you get the interest involved. So, like, if I'm going to blast it on Twitter tomorrow, right? XYZ stock's going to go through the roof, 
and I have these guys on the side, I have their $20,000 sitting, I go buy it. That's just going to increase the volume, right? So if it's him and 10 other people doing that, people are going to believe what they see is posted. Right. And that, but what I meant was you had a guy down at the port saying, Hey, this guy's always talking about stocks. Is that what he was doing? Was he doing it talking to the people at the port or was he doing it just to uh, like online and, you know, trying to pump? Well, I'm trying to figure out how did uh, no, to, how to, to friend to friends to friends. Yeah. Okay. Give me five grand. I'll make you some money. Give me five grand. Got I'll it. make you some money. Okay. So he was scamming his own friends as well. Yeah. No honor among thieves. Yeah, I was going to say shocker, right? <laughs> shocker. There you go. Well, so so you start doing this now up in uh, you're out of New Jersey. So when you start looking at these folks down in Florida, how does your inv- take tell it tell us about going down to Florida? You know, what does it take for you to get down to Florida, and what things are you interested in doing while you're down there with these folks? Is it are you doing surveillance for a while, or are you past that? Is it just a document case? No, no, one hundred percent. We went down there again. Like the DEA guys came down there with me. Even though it wasn't drugs, we did surveillance down there. We did operations down there, um, and, and they were there the whole time. We, we, we went to the Dolphins game one time because they all went to the Dolphins game. <laughs> we had everybody inside the Dolphins game. And then when it came time to arrest, they, again, we all went back down again. I mean, we went down there several times. We spent a lot of time in Fort Lauderdale. The oh, yeah. Um, there was always a lot of follow-up. Oh, yeah. We got to go yeah. back down to Fort Lauderdale. Let's it call it New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. It was always in like... January, February, March. So the timing Absolutely. was great. <laughs> I was stationed. I was stationed in Miami in in eighty seven to ninety one, and and January, February is when all the New York, New Jersey agents came down. The Boston agents, yep, everybody yep. came down. I, for me, it's too hot. I couldn't live down there. There's no way. It's too freaking hot. But it's nice to get away, especially when well, you, you know think how to pay South for Florida's it. hot. Let me tell you about Douglas, Arizona. <laughs> it's a dry heat. That's that's a dry. It's a dry heat. <laughs> well, look, it's a dry cold in New Jersey. You know, I remember. I remember driving home. To, I commuted to work. We lived in Sierra Vista, which is like forty-five minutes, and I'm with a guy from Boston, and he just didn't give a shit about anything. He had a piece of shit red pickup truck, and it was three of us commuting in that thing, and he only had like the small cab. He didn't have the king cab, and one of us would always have to sit in that small back part, no AC. And it was, I was like, I'm living in a fucking uh, blow dryer. That's what it felt like. It was so hot. And was, yeah, it's a dry heat. Dry heat. It's a dry yeah. heat. <laughs> so is <was> an oven. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so so you're down there. What's the while you're down there? Tell us about now while you're down there. What's the purpose now? Uh, what are you surveilling? Are you trying to figure out what banks they're going to or what locations yep. they're going to? What's the purpose of the surveillance down there? Additional banks. Um, we did some operate. Like I said, we did some operations down there. Some undercover stuff down there. What kind of, uh, so well, tell us about, what was the purpose just, of the undercover? What were you targeting? Got guys meeting and then like uh, other guys that were involved that we didn't have enough on that we would send people in to meet and then get them to talk about it. And so just to close those doors. Cause there was how, a, I, well, how did you introduce them then? How did your UCs get with these guys? Tell I me mean, what was the purpose of the meet? Was it like a cold, just a, you know, uh, ju- you know, just do a bump or was it a, um, was there an intro from these other guys that you had jammed up? There were, yeah, there were introductions from other people involved. And so when they went in there, what were they trying to figure out? What were they trying to, to uh, discern from their conversations? Either wanting to move money through the pump and dumps or invest, like make like you're an investor. Like I said, you got this, this getting ready to go or acting as one of the potential, I'll call them advertisers going on Twitter and Facebook. You know, hey, I want to make a quick 10 grand. I'll well, do it. 
kind of put it in the perspective too. We know, like, if you're going to do a conspiracy, there has to be an overt act and furtherance of the conspiracy. So if you're talking to somebody, you know, and you're the UC, you got. I mean, there's certain trigger things, certain thresholds. In a stock case like this, what are some of the thresholds for you? What are some of the, um, you know, uh, the, the bright lines that you're trying to get them to cross? It's like we know conspiracy, like the overt act, but just talking about it isn't enough. What kind of things would they have to do so that you could get them, you know, start uh, jamming these guys up later, being able to file charges on them? Oh, you, you would go out and pr- either promote the stock or invest money and get the dirty money. Well, you're obviously watching the guy's account, right? So when he gets paid from the bad guy and then that money comes back our way, you've completed the circle. Or if we gave money to an invest to invest in and it gets deposited at the end of the day to the bad guy's account, all three are involved in the conspiracy, right? How much were you having to front to do this? Not a lot. Like I said, you're only... They're grabbing small chunks from everybody. It's a penny stock, so five thousand dollars on a penny stock is going to get you a lot of shares. Okay. You know, uh, there was also guys that were acting as just people that would trade for them. Like I said, they were doing wash trades. So, if the owner of the company gives you X amount of shares, there's supposed to be restrictions on them. Somehow they got those restrictions moved, so you and I could literally sit next to each other, and I could sell at a certain price if you're buying, and then vice versa, and then you're just increasing the interest in that stock. Well, you know, like with the New York Stock Exchange or, you know, with the, the with the NASDAQ, um, you know, there's you've got traders out there. You've got people. So you think about this floor and there's people watching what's going on or analysts somewhere. Who was watching the penny stocks to start looking at it to say, okay, the price, is this a lot of this just automated based on the computer and watching how much the volume of stock or how do you, how do you drive the stock up? Is it simply just more people purchasing or are there other are there people unwitting accomplices you know people like the traders like you would see on the floor of the nasdaq and the new york stock exchange hey i need five shares of this i need 50 shares of this i need a thousand shares of this in this example it was a combination <clears throat> it was a combination of insiders paid brokers who were you know selling it to people and the guys sitting there doing the wash trades and then the guys getting it from the company dumping those shares as well so it's a combination, but those those stocks are watched. I just don't think I wouldn't think they're watched as heavily as as you know big stocks. Right. But Finner's on top of these things, SEC's on top of these things. You know, so when they see a lot of movement, they're alerted as well. I mean, they were they were Finra was awesome helping out with those cases. No, and tell Finner. us who Fin yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. Yeah. Finner is like the regulatory part of the market. So they they maintain the market integrity. SEC basically enforces. Um Finra's quasi government. SEC is government. What does Finner stand uh, for? Quinner Quin- is the financial uh, financial industry. Finra. Financial well, we know integrity. What FinCEN is FinCEN is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. So, but you've got Finna, Finra. Finra. FinCEN. Yeah. Financial mm-hmm. industry. So they, they basically are the gatekeepers of the financial of the markets. They okay. register the broker dealers. Financial industry they regulatory set, authority. Right. They they set the rules. They register anybody who wants to trade, broker or dealers. So where's the epicenter for penny stocks? I mean, like, you know, obviously when we think NASDAQ, you know, NYSE, you've got the Chicago Board of Trade. I mean, you've got places. Where's, where's, the, where's the epicenter for penny stocks? Is it still in New York or located around? Oh, that was been so long ago. I don't even know if they're still a big thing. Okay. I'm sure they are, but I, I have no clue. That was, I, that was a one-off. I've done one penny stock case that lasted several years but well yeah so how long did your how long did this investigation last before you could finally start uh you know getting indictments 
by getting indictments, probably I would say a year and a half, two years. It wasn't like super long, but then probably another year before trial and all that. So you, you're in Florida now. You're following these folks around. You're doing these UC operations. So where does Florida lead you to? Is that the end of the food chain, or have you got other folks that you're going after? No, we had people out in San Diego, like I said, Panama, Colorado. Um, that's probably that's about it. I'm sure there was probably some other miscellaneous places, but that was about the primary spots. So, but when you're in Panama, like that lawyer, you talk about being in trial later. Are you able to get this person extradited? Um, are they are they indicted as well? Uh, we got. We didn't have to extradite. They came back to the U.S. and that's when we got them. Oh, okay. Both, both were like so. The the attorney was a USC who just operated over there, but he oh, came he back. Oh, he was the U.S. citizen. He would just go yep. down there and do work and then come back. Yep. Well, so then, look, yeah, you know, talk about that. Talk about that because you you always love that too, right? When they land and they've got every, you know, they're loaded for bear. So, um, what what was the decision point where you said, look, we have enough. We need to make the arrest. We're going to approach them, you know, and uh, take take uh, take these guys off. That's just, uh, I, I don't know the exact trigger point. I just know once we got enough to make the AUSA happy, they were, they were ready to go. I don't know what, I don't know if there was a defining moment that says, okay, he's ready to do this. Let's go. I think it just, the uh, evidence got so big. They were like, okay, we're, we're. Yeah, it's diminishing returns now. It's like you can only indict them so many times, you know? Um, right. I, I think that what took the longest is just to make sure who we had, we, as the top of the food chain was the top of the food chain and nobody else. Hey players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out as always on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash game of crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash game of crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.